Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. The current federal trial against No More Deaths volunteer Dr. Scott Warren was sent to jury deliberation on Friday, June 7, 2019. Warren is facing federal charges of harboring and conspiracy for what he sees as providing humanitarian aid to migrants in Ajo, Arizona. The trial has galvanized local, national, and international support for Scott Warren and No More Deaths. Human rights and immigrant rights activists and faith leaders have flocked to Tucson to lend their support and bear witness to this trial. On Tuesday, June 4th, Earlham College Border Studies Program convened a community panel entitled The Scott Warren Case in Context. Panelists include social justice activist Alejandra Pablos, New York-based New Sanctuary Coalition and Families for Freedom Executive Director Ravi Ragbir, Southside Presbyterian Church Pastor Allison Harrington, and No More Deaths volunteer Marlena. Up first on 30 Minutes, we'll hear from Earlham College Border Studies Program Academic Director and Instructor Jeff Boyce, who moderated the panel followed by social justice activist Alejandra Pablos. My name is Jeff Boyce. I am faculty in the Earlham College Border Studies Program. Um, Thank you all for being here. I am really excited to be here moderating this panel and and to have these folks here with us. And I I wanted to offer just a couple of of comments by way of, of framing this conversation and getting us going. So the first one is to just acknowledge that, that we are uh, having this conversation here on Tono Autumn land uh, who never signed a treaty to cede their land to the United States. And, and that's important because we're having a conversation about resilience and resistance. And um, I think it's really important to acknowledge the uh, generational struggles, right, um, for people's cultural autonomy and cultural survival and dignity in the face of some of the most extreme and routine ongoing forms of violence that the United States has been capable of marshalling, right? And the border has a lot to do with that. Or at this moment, the border ha- you know, plays a big role in that. I think that's important for you know, contextualizing when we're talking about Scott's case. Which brings me to my second comment, which is that you know, we know in the context of um, the history that's been done on the strategy of prevention through deterrence and the scholarship, you know, research by people like Raquel Rubio Goldsmith, who is here, by people like Dan Martinez and Robin Reinecke and Jeremy Slack, right, that this, this strategy is premised on using the desert to inflict the, the maximum amount of physiological suffering on people uh, who, are, who are trying to cross by pushing those migration routes into the most remote, difficult areas possible. And that helps explain why they're interested in prosecuting Scott Warren. It also helps explain why the government has been prosecuting other humanitarian folks who are putting out water and trying to limit the access to the areas um, where, people can, where people can go to do those kinds of humanitarian interventions, which are directly aimed at improving the likelihood that people will survive that journey. You know, so we know that. Uh, I, I make this comment just to say that, you know, for, for those of us who live here on the border, you know, uh, this, is, this is, I think, really front and present in, in our minds when we're thinking about the stakes of, of Scott's case. But we're really fortunate tonight to have some guests, not only who are, some of whom are local, but also uh, national 
folks coming from all around the country who are involved in struggles around immigrant rights, who are, are leaders in their communities, and who have also been dealing with being targeted by the government because of their leadership um, and because of the role they've played. That's really the purpose of this, of this panel and this event this evening, to try to contextualize this case and um, its implications for us here in uh, a broader um, picture in terms of what's happening nationally and what's happening um, globally. So uh, without further ado, um, we are really fortunate here to have um, Ravi Ragbir from the New Sanctuary Coalition from, from New York, uh, New York City. Um, we have uh, Alejandra Pablos and Allison Harrington from Southside Presbyterian Church. And then uh, uh, from No More Deaths, we also have a representative here, uh, Marlena, to talk about the organization and, and how its work continues in the face of the prosecution that's happening. So, welcome. So I prepared a few questions, um, which are really intended to get our conversation started and, and to be used as prompts to frame the conversation, not to really steer too much where we go, because I'm, I'm really... Uh, looking forward to um, what each of these folks wants to share with us about their own experiences. And I do have a couple of individual questions for each of you all. To start off, I'd like to just ask you each to talk about your own experiences over, over the last couple of years and how you connect those experiences to some of the broader trends that, that are impacting on the communities that you come from um, and that really contextualize this political moment that, that we're living in. Can you repeat that, please? <laughs> so so the, the question that I'd like to, to ask each of you to, to share, if, if you're willing, um, are some of, your, some of your own experience of, over, over the last few years. I know all of you are involved in organizing and movement in your communities. And some of you have also, I think, carried a fairly heavy burden as an outcome of, 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 of that involvement. And so I, I'd like to invite you to you know, share what you're willing and also how how you see that connecting to the kinds of atmosphere in the communities that you work in, that you're coming from, uh, and how that can help us think about the, the moment that we're in right now politically. Let me just start out by saying that that was really loaded. Always panel questions come so loaded, I'm like, what? <laughs> What part of that am I gonna answer? My name is Alejandra. Um, I am from from Tucson, uh, Mexicana, um, and I've been fighting my deportation case for about eight years now, but I've been really organizing against my deportation for about four or five years. Um, and I just think that in this moment, this cur current political moment is really calling for all of us to fight for everyone. For, literally for everyone, right? If you're not talking about somebody else as you're fighting for yourself, I don't wanna hear it, right? If you're not trying to walk in with hella people through the walls like a gates of justice, I don't wanna hear it. Yeah, so this moment is just, I mean, it's just the attacks are really ramping up and it's a moment where we're also centering the leadership of formerly incarcerated people, of, of directly impacted um, familias and people, right? And if you're not doing that, then you need to hire somebody to re-strategize your organization. But that's what we're doing right now. But what that really means 
is that there's gonna be a lot of, a call for like trauma-informed healing, right? A lot of that, I, I wanted to just bring that up, that as we are centering the leadership of people like myself, the trauma is still there, right? When we're in these spaces, it's important for you to be able to notice when people are being activated, right? When people are going through something, when something has triggered them, when it's a real trigger. Um, so um, yeah, I really appreciate that, 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 that. Appreciate that in this moment, that's what's happening. But we have to be really, really careful when we also do that, and who we're also throwing to the side, right? We not all can be the Ravis and the Alice and the Donalds, and you know these like like elitist uh, organizers and activists, right? We're in a moment of time where we're talking about people that don't have the privilege to stand up here and share their story. So for me, speaking up, having a deportation order against me, having white supremacists write articles about me and watch my social media and watch how I talk about women getting paid more, how dare that illegal have the audacity to ask for more, right? And for me, it's like, again, it's like when people are challenging and when I'm, when like, I have, I've been stripped from everything that all I have left is to just be free, that scares everyone. Right, so it doesn't matter about my record, what I did, the things that they've charged me with. It doesn't matter uh, that I'm a reproductive justice organizer and I defend women's rights and women's choice over their bodies. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, it's gonna be either one thing or the other, right? Just speaking up against the system. So I think right now, again, it's a time where we have to protect, protect all folks who are fighting and who are actually resisting the systems out loud. That was Alejandra Pablos. Up next, we'll hear from New York-based New Sanctuary Coalition and Families for Freedom Executive Director Ravi Ragbir. We're in a moment where if you talk to anyone, you will probably hear them say that they are very concerned about what is happening. So there's a lot of uneasiness that is happening throughout the country. Uh, and you'll be surprised. Um, when we were in, in, in San Diego, programmers from Silicon Valley, like, how do you help? How do you hear about us? It's because they were trying to find somewhere to channel their, their concern. The problem is what, you just, what just happened is even as you're trying to find something, you hear a lot of noise in the background. You hear um, train horns and train noises. You hear a lot of things happening in the background that is just distracting and very um, disruptive. The, the thing is, this has not been, this doesn't happen under this present administration. I don't like to call his name. Um, this didn't just happen out of the blue in 2016. This has been happening um, throughout many, many, gen, um, like two, two decades, three decades. The problem with today is uh, he's attacking everyone. I don't care who you are. You'll be not, unless you are the 1.01%, you are a target, right? But he's using the immigrant campaign to sh shut and distract people from the fact that they are being attacked. Whether you're a woman, you're trans, you're LGBT, you're, uh, uh, your income is of a certain level, class uh, warfare, it doesn't matter where you fit into this. But all of a sudden, you have those illegal aliens coming in and taking everything away from you. Right? He's pointing you to the victims. You're a victim yourself, and he's pointing to you to another victim so that you can take your frustration out on someone else. Isn't that our problem? That's Doesn't that uh, always been our problem that we, instead of challenging the problem itself, we actually challenge those who are less fortunate than us? 
right? So, and, and again, like I said, this wasn't happening now. So they use the word illegal, aliens, all these terms that they have used from years now. Because when you have dehumanized someone, when you have dehumanized someone, if I am being targeted or I am being violated, because I'm less than human, your conscience doesn't rise up. Because, oh, I'm not worthy of your attention. And that's the purpose of all the language and all the ways they use to describe immigrants. And when we get caught up in that, we end up fighting ourselves in this battle. It's actually us too. I'm hearing undocumented people saying, oh, they support this president. Why? Because it's about me in this moment, and I don't want them to come in here and take what I have. We are part of the problem, but this problem has been going on for many years. This is just um, increased because it is now affecting you. It is literally now affecting you. But if we are not resilient, as Jeff said, if we don't know how to be resilient, and we don't know how to come together, we will all lose. So the moment we are in right now is an opportunity for us to create something that we want out of the chaos that is, being, that is happening around us. That was New York-based New Sanctuary Coalition and Families for Freedom Executive Director Ravi Ragbir with remarks made at Earlham College Border Studies Program Community Panel entitled The Scott Warren Case and Context. On 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Here is Southside Presbyterian Church Pastor Allison Harrington. I think that um, when it comes to um, my own experiences, um, it's, it's, I think it's been interesting. So um, as a pastor of Southside, we, get, um, we talk a lot about the work of sanctuary and have been engaged in the work of sanctuary since, since 1980s and then again in 2014. And when this current administration came into office, we were inundated with calls. And before the election of 2016, we had about 400 congregations committed to the work of sanctuary. Almost overnight, we had 1,100 congregations who were standing up to say, we will uh, defend and stand alongside those who are going to be targeted by this administration. And it was an interesting moment for, for many ways. Um, most of the congregations that I work with are, um, are mainline Protestant white congregations. And what I want to what I, what I say is what I've learned in the past few years about sanctuary is that sanctuary has always been practiced by communities of color since the beginning of time. For anyone who's been persecuted and suffered under state repression, Communities of color have practiced sanctuary in a multitude of different ways, and that is how they have survived state violence. And so it is not something that we invented. It is something that we have taken on as a calling, but it is something that communities of color have always practiced. Um, so the majority of people that I work with are white. So that's the experience that I'm speaking from. And what happened in November of 2016 is especially um, pastors were like, this is our Dietrich Bonhoeffer moment. And for those of you who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a German pastor who stood against the Nazis and ended up in prison and then in a concentration camp and was killed. And we were like, this is our Dietrich Bonhoeffer moment. And we were like super scared and also like feeling really um, convicted and feeling really pretty proud of ourselves <laughs> a little bit. Um, and what happened was 
uh, we made, in the beginning, and I'll include myself in this, we made it kind of all about ourselves and about like how heroic we were being and our part in this resistance. Uh, we were really focused on ourselves. And we were thinking of sanctuary as this beautiful thing. And it is a beautiful thing, but it's also a heartbreaking, heartbreaking thing um, for a family to have to enter into a church where they cannot leave. Um, and so the experiences of undocumented people and the suffering that they were and the fear they were living with clashed with our great projects for saving the nation. Um, and so we've had to readjust how we're thinking about this work. So what was happening was pastors were saying, okay, we're signed on, we're gonna do this work, but no one is showing up at our door. And so I'd say, well, do you have any relationships in the community with folks? And some of them did and were actively involved, and some of them weren't. So then it was like, well, why don't you go ask undocumented people what, what they actually need? Instead of just saying, hey, here's what we have to offer. But like say, what, what, what is it that you actually need? in this moment. And so it was a lot of talk of like, just go and, and it was, if you, you all remember, all of us were overwhelmed. We, none of us knew what to do. And so we, we said, go with some humility and some patience, but say, do you need copies being made? We can make them on our church copier. Can we bring a meal to your next meeting? Can we provide childcare for your next meeting? Little ways to be supportive of folks. And then really try to understand that, um, that sanctuary itself is a tactic. It's not the goal of the work. Well, the goal of the work is that every inch of earth would be sanctuary, but sanctuary is a tactic. And we actually don't want people having to live in congregations. We want people safe in their homes. And so we also began to shift our work um, especially because the zero tolerance policy makes sanctuary a very hard tactic. We have people who are stuck in congregations. And so what does it mean to leave the protection of your congregation and actually go into the community working alongside directly affected folks and do what you can so that our communities can be sanctuary communities? I think the other thing that happened and I think the a thing that a lot of us have been dealing with is secondary trauma. Like, that's a real thing, that our, our brothers and sisters are going through some personal trauma, um, and we need to support them. But we're also witnessing that, and we're also seeing that secondary trauma. Um, here in Tucson, we see families being taken away by Border Patrol, and we see what happens in Operation Streamline. We meet people in the desert. We, we see what's happening, and, and, and it's, um, it, we take that on, too. And, so, and, and right now, we're in this moment where there's kind of relentless attacks, and we all feel exhausted by it. And so how is it that faith communities can become like a sanctuary from all that? And how is it a place of resiliency and a place of strengthening? And how do we really um, make sure that we are creating these strongholds of love and resistance that we can retreat to so that we can further um, the fight? And so I think that's been one of the things that we've been trying to connect with. That was Southside Presbyterian Church Pastor Allison Harrington. Up next is panel moderator Jeff Boyce, who is the Earlham College Border Studies Program Academic Director followed by No More Deaths volunteer Marlena on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Thank you all. So one of the things that brings many of you in the audience here to town, to Tucson, and Ravi, I know you're also here for a short time visiting us. You know, really the premise of this panel is to think about um, the case that's currently happening in federal court uh, involving Scott Warren, um, many of you have actually been in the courtroom, you know, witnessing witnessing the trial. Many of you are involved in, have been involved in um, in active solidarity and support. I know uh, Marlena, who's on this panel, has been one of the bedrocks of of that work in Tucson. And so the the next thing I'd, I'd like to invite you all to to reflect on or, or or comment on really is 
How do you think about not just this this case involving Scott, but but how this case connects to the broader tactics of the of the Trump administration and the targeting of movement leaders broadly, and and including immigrants and non-citizens um, who have particular kinds of legal vulnerabilities that the administration has also been been using uh, to to try to you know attack these movements. You know, how should we think about these cases, and what are some of the conversations happening in, in, in your communities? Um, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes hard to broaden the mind from the day-to-day uh, -day small things, like what that prosecutor said in court today. Yeah, so I think when you step back and look at it, um, there's a lot of very, very scary things going on, and a lot of very scary precedent that this administration is setting that you know, are uh, extensions of roots of thought and, um, you know, strains of colonialism, strains of racism that have been present in this country for decades since its founding, since the invasion of these lands. And I think they're hyped up and trumped up, if you will, and being deployed at a rate that is new to us and terrifying personally to me. I think a lot of the moves that the administration is making are like extra legal, like they're just kind of doing it. And we have an opportunity, I think, in the Scott Warren case because it is this very standard legal proceeding in which our friend is being tried before a judge and jury of his peers um, to really fight back in a myriad of ways. I think that the precedent that they're trying to set in Scott's case by basically criminalizing what is now considered basic human decency, you encounter someone in need, you offer them food, you offer them water, you offer them clothing, you offer to tell them where they are. The things that we teach in Sunday school, right, like the things you learn in kindergarten, that in my opinion are the bedrock of a functional human society, right? Like you cannot have a functioning society in which I am afraid to share with you what I have, right? Like you can't have a functioning society where if I see you on the street, and you look like you're about to collapse, I recoil in fear because I don't know if I will go to prison for offering you help or not. Like, that doesn't work, right? So the things that they're trying to criminalize are basic instincts, like, towards human decency and kindness. And it's a real, we've been talking about it um, as a, escalation, but also I, I like think of it as like a widening of the sphere of criminalization of migration in this country, right? And so like this used to not be a country, so the concept of being illegally in this country didn't exist because there were native nations, they had their ways of moving and their ways of interacting with each other. Then this place was colonized, there was a border, it changed, it changed, it changed again, always through indigenous dispossession, war and genocide, right? Then there was a southern border and people walked across it all the time. People lived in Mexico, they walked into this country, they had jobs, they walked back, it was fine, it was normal, there were no walls. Then there were walls, right? Then it was a crime to come into this country. Then you could go to private prison for doing that crime once. Then you could go for longer doing it again. Now you can maybe go to prison for offering water to someone, who, right? So it's this like constant 
amping up of this idea that's a total invention <laughs> and so destructive and um, you know uh, has been resisted from the beginning will be resisted forever right like people are always going to share water with each other like this administration can't change that I don't know with Jeff's last question about like what this political moment is God this is gonna sound so trite but like this political moment I think is like the moment where we remember the things that are incredibly important about being alive and continuously every day recommit ourselves to those things, right? And like that is the medicine that gets us through the storm and the insanity and the fear and the violence is by recommitting to ourselves and each other and the earth that like we're here to be decent people and to treat each other well and to like lift up the values of life itself. That was No More Deaths volunteer Marlena on 30 Minutes 91.3. KXCI Tucson. We'll conclude today with New York-based New Sanctuary Coalition and Families for Freedom Executive Director Ravi Ragbir. What happens is um, we have a fear of loss. And in this moment, when you are targeting Scott, Dr. Scott Warren, for just offering water, what that what they're trying to do is intimidate and throw us into fear so that we don't do what is human decency as Marlena said because when we are intimidated we are easily controlled and we are easily manipulated and the manipulation is that we want you to be reticent we want you to be quiet we want you to stay in your place right? how many of you are afraid we should all raise our hands we are afraid because we don't know what is going to happen. The moment is, if we are afraid and do nothing, it is going to be where you don't do anything and it continues to get worse. So on January 11th in 2018, last year, um, when I went in for a regular check-in, I had hundreds of people who accompanied me. Hundreds of people, right? Accompanied me, they were all outside, but ICE was not deterred. They shackled me and put me on a plane and they took me to Florida. While they were doing that, basically a riot started. There were people who were getting arrested, including city officials. ICE, in their official documents to the challenge of my deportation, said they were game. They were game my deportation, meaning that they had planned every step of it. And it is not just about the fact that I am outspoken and I call them Nazis and horrible people and evil people, and they don't like that. Um, because the fact is they know it's true, yes, they know it's true, but they still don't want to be called off it. That's one of the reasons. But the other reason is, you know, remember I said there were hundreds of people who accompanied me? If they could deport me, right, if they could deport me, what about the, the Marias and the Jose's and the, and the, um, um, and the, the others who don't have the community that I have? And if they could deport me, what is the message that has been sent? Oh, then we don't have a chance, right? You as a community don't have any authority and power. We as non-citizens, we are going to be lost. So it just means I should give up. So all of these things that is meant, it is a plan, it's a strategy to quiet us, to make us be afraid so that we are not going to act. And they also do that by delegitimizing sources of news. Delegitimizing um, good information because it also allows those who are producing fake news, producing false information, 
they will validate what they what they're hearing the propaganda they've been listening to right what do i mean by that the white supremacists are not going to listen to reason right but if they hear that um msnbc is a fake news oh they wasn't telling the truth so i what i know is what i what i know is the truth but they just no one is telling me telling me that so in delegit delegitimizing the the, the the news and attacking the news and the media is another form another strategy to also move the agenda together i will end with saying that um we have to be mindful of this manipulation and now we more than ever we should not be stepping back we should be aware of the consequences of what we are planning to do and be prepared to to do that and be prepared for the consequences of that action and also be mindful of how do you mitigate those consequences so if you are going up against cbp or ice and you go up alone it you will your 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 the harm they could cost you is 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 as high but if you have a larger community around you because observing that will mitigate what they can do to you so what i'm saying is even as you act don't act in solid solitude act together come in unity as we are doing tonight come in unity because that's the only way we can win we'll have to leave it there that was new york based new sanctuary coalition and families for freedom executive director ravi ragbir with remarks made at a community panel entitled the scott warren case in context which was convened by earlham college border studies program jury deliberation in the current federal trial against no more death volunteer dr scott warren will resume on monday june 10th Additional panelists included social justice activist Alejandra Pablos, Southside Presbyterian Church pastor Allison Harrington, and No More Dust volunteer Marlena. Earlham College Border Studies Program academic director and instructor Jeff Boyce moderated the panel. This has been part one of a series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxcr.org.